This episode of According to Flint is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, who is proud to bring the Western lifestyle and outdoor enthusiasts together for conservation projects, enhancing elk habitat, and ensuring the future of America's hunting heritage. Visit rmef.org for more information. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this episode of According to Flint. Welcome to According to Flint, the innovative podcast reaching beyond the Western demographic with stories, humor, and interviews. Now, here's your host, Flint Rasmussen. Thanks, as always, to our friends at the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation for their continued support of everything we do right here on According to Flint, including my podcast, which this week features, I've always said, if I I made a list of my top five friends that I've had in my lifetime, Shorty Gorham would probably be on that list. Everybody knows him as one of our rodeo and PBR bullfighters, and there's a lot to Shorty. Uh, He is an outdoorsman. He's a cowboy, he was a pickup man, and he's a bullfighter, and probably the most fielded question that I've ever fielded in my entire career is, where's Shorty at? What happened to Shorty? So we are going to answer that question today as as well as cover some of the great memories from our long career that we've had. We've worked the PBR Finals together, the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo together, and so really have looked forward to this one. I hope you get a few laughs. More importantly, learn some things you didn't know before about both of us. So enjoy this podcast, According to Flint, with my friend Shorty Gorham after this message from our friends at Pendleton Whiskey. This, along with every episode of According to Flint, brought to you by Pendleton Whiskey. For more than a century, the Pendleton Roundup has defined what it means to be a cowboy. It also gave life to something equally renowned, a whiskey that captures that unique spirit in every bottle. A whiskey made with the finest northern grains and cut with Mount Hood glacier water. A whiskey that celebrates the cowboy in all of us. That is Pendleton whiskey, and that's true Western tradition. Pendleton Distillers, Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Please drink responsibly. Well, welcome again, everyone, to episode number 39 of According to Flint. And I'm all, I'm not, a lot of these I get nervous for my prep and who I have on, maybe a little intimidated. This one, I have goosebumps. I'm so excited. The title of this podcast should be Where the Hell is Shorty? Please welcome the clean cut, kind of clean shaven Shorty Gorm. Look at you. You're going almost school teacher, professor on us, Shorty. Well, yeah, I'm I'm in my daughter's schoolroom, so I might as well look like a school teacher. <laughs> You're going to do a PowerPoint for us later. Your little pointer, I, and yeah, I will. I will. Yeah, I'll I'll turn you. <laughs> oh, there's the yeah. you got the yeah. chalkboard, and the, yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, it's uh it, that we were going to, and we may title this podcast. Where the hell, Shorty? It was time, Shorty, it was time. I called you on the phone, and I said, it's time. 
I've always known I'm going to have Shorty on my podcast. Didn't know. I want, I want the time to be right. You are aware that I have never answered the same question. I've been through kids. I've been a school teacher. I've never asked, answered one question, the same question so many times as I have. Where's Shorty at? Holy crap. You're aware of that, aren't you? I, I am. Yeah, you've given me hell about it a little bit, but <laughs> I feel like you're going to be like uh, like Cheech and Chong. Dave's not here, Dave. man. <laughs> hey, man, open up. This is Dave. I got the stuff. Hey, man, no, Dave's not here. <laughs> Good reference. That's when I was yeah. a kid, Cheech and Chong. So there you go. All right. Let's get some stuff out of the way. May I, should, should the PBR, uh, I, I'm, listen, the PBR sells bull riding and bull riders. I get that. Mm-hmm. But you guys, because you are on TV more than anyone, the, the people really connect. We'll cover that first. The people really connect with you guys and your personality. You, Frank, Jesse, Cody, now Lucas Teodoro's at all of them. There's a connection there with fans. It, it's become uh, quite the phenomenon, hasn't it? Yeah, you know, and it's, it's interesting how it's all uh, come around because, as you well remember, like, back in the day it was we were supposed to be out of sight out of mind you know and um just wasn't really part of the show and and really bullfighters never really were intended to be but but then uh they found a little niche i i don't remember if i guess it started with smets yeah doing the pick of the pen or whatever you know he did he did part of the broadcast and then it just kind of grew from there it went from there to to joe and then um as as the TV built and built, they recognize the potential of, of having somebody on the dirt to give uh, their opinion and their their angle and and it's a different feeling from the booth than it is down there in the arena. So it gave us an opportunity to to get more TV time. And then I think people realize that hey, these aren't just three dumbasses out there running around. <laughs> they actually kind of well, going on. Well, well, kind of. <laughs> I said not just. Just, yeah. Right. That is yeah, part of the resume, though. Exactly. <laughs> you're, uh, yes. you're right. It was, I, I forgot about it, and I hadn't looked back at that. It was Smets first. Smets was the first one to wear the uniform. It was yes. Car, CarQuest, remember? And yeah. I, my friend yeah. Duncan designed that. Um, he was TV, and it, it is. It, it, you see it different. You're involved in it different. You get the feel and then it was Joe, our friend Joe Bumgartner, whose TV career was cut very short. <laughs> there, Joe Bumgartner, for people, I need to get him too. Joe Bumgartner isn't exactly rated G in what he talks about in the arena. No, or anywhere for that matter. <laughs> I think it was Albuquerque. He, he'd, always, he'd talked to Bulls. Come here, you blah blah blah, and he had the microphone mm-hmm. on. He said, right. "Come here, you f and cs," and it was on. Yeah, like, like yeah, OLA, whatever it was at that time. Yeah, my favorite Bumgarner microphone moment was, <laughs> and I don't remember who it was. Maybe like Robson Palermo hurt, broke his ankle or something, and Joe's out there trying to get him out of the arena, and the bull's still in the arena. It's, everything's kind of still going down, and he's like, "Come on, let's go, let's go," and he's like. My leg. And Joe goes, use your other effing leg. (laughs) (laughs) On TV. Classic. Classic Joe Bumgarner. So, I don't know. But it's it's been interesting to me. And I joke about, hey, where's Shorty been? Where's Shorty been? Over and over. 
the good news is that gives me a good feeling is people really have it's it's a good thing that you know because now it's where's Jesse been? Jesse doesn't come down from Canada as much. Uh, Cody Webster now you know as we record this San Antonio, so he's going to miss a couple weeks. Where's Webster been? They notice. Yeah. Whether that's yeah, good that's, or bad, and that's not the reason you guys got into this, but they no, but they connect with all thing. they connect with all of you. Uh, yeah, I think it's a great thing. I think it's it's good that the PBR has has um, uh, given the bullfighters that that light to to be recognized. And I'll tell you what, it's been great for the sport. I can tell you, uh, I've been going to some velocity events and stuff like that. So I've been working with a lot of different guys, which I haven't got to do for the past however many years. And uh, just getting to see the talent pool that's out there. I think, I think doing what the PBR has done with the bullfighters has drawn a new interest in young, young guys. And the talent level right now, the bullfighters is super deep, man. It's very, very encouraging to, uh, to see it. And I think it's part of letting us talk about what we do and showing what we do and stuff. Uh, necessary, uh, the TV exposure and stuff, kind of a necessary evil in today's society. You, uh, I never, I have not really looked at it that way, but as a young kid, 16, 17 years old, thinking about a be, being a bullfighter, you can build a brand. Now uh, we talk mm-hmm. about that a lot. Now you've done it. Yep. I've, I'm trying to do it now. You can build a brand because TV points people to your social media. You can then build a brand and monetize that in ways additional to what you make in the arena. Correct. Right. Correct. Correct. So, and, and and it's grown into something where you know bullfighting. You can make a pretty damn good living doing it now. And I think these kids are seeing that, and, and uh, that's why it's drawn them to that. And, and then, like you said, you can subsidize it by by building your brand. Um, it, it's funny that you say that <clears throat> people will come and go, these bullfighters, they're the unsung heroes. They don't get enough credit and they don't, they don't, they, people are stuck in that old mentality. Right. They don't get paid hardly anything anymore. And nobody recognizes them. I feel like there's a lot of times during the show, Clint Atkins and Matt West, where I work and Grover and those guys, they'll say, Hey, we have not recognized them enough tonight. Give it up for the U S border patrol safety team and the pay you bring that up. It's not the old, I'll, I'll give you 150 of performance times right. have changed a little bit. Haven't they? A lot, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think in fact, yeah, I remember when I started out, that's, I think that was kind of the going rate 150 and then you could, <laughs> you could work your way up, you know, it didn't take long. I was making 300 and I thought there'd never be another four day. <laughs> I remember that. Me yeah. too. Yeah. Me too. You know, I mean, that's, but no, now it's, it's, it's a good living. And, and once you get to the top and, and the bottom side, the bottom end of, of bullfighting has really come a long ways too. So all the way across the board, it's way better. But um, when you get to get to go to work for the PBR, things get a hell of a lot yeah. better. Well, I always like when people come to me and Hey Flint, uh, you're making a good living. Thanks for setting that standard for us. Now we can all, we can all make more. I don't necessarily believe that. Uh, uh, I, don't I, I, don't, I, I don't think, listen, George Strait gets more for a concert than Chancey Williams. Now, right. would I rather go to a Chancey Williams concert? Maybe, but that's just, I always used to tell people at those meetings and it was the rodeo thing. Make sure everybody's getting paid the same here. I always told them, if you guys all want to make the same amount of money, go be a school teacher. I That's think right. quality should get paid more. 
I do too. I do too in, in every walk of life. And, and uh, that's, yeah, that's the whole, every team gets a trophy mentality in my opinion. And yeah. it sucks. Yeah. There's winners and losers. Yeah. Yeah. That's I'm with you, man. I, and I, I always appreciated that. And so, yeah, there is, is a lot of that, but uh, do you think the PBR should be better now that you guys are getting that airtime? Do you think they should be better about the start of the world finals or the start of every season explaining here's who you'll see on tour here's the process or is it not important enough because the where the hell shorty been thing we'll talk about that first of all explain you didn't go anywhere there's a process of how the bullfighters are selected explain the process hey everyone listen shorty's gonna explain the process so at the end of the year uh, or toward the end of the year before the world finals, the uh, PBR will, will contact or be contacted by every bullfighter that's qualified to go to the PBR world finals. Those bullfighters will select the bullfighters, those bull riders, bull riders will, yes. will select the bullfighters that they want to go to the PBR world finals. There's an order. Okay. Explain how long is that list of eligible bullfighters? Do you know? Oh, I don't know, but it's, it's hundred. Um, it's a lot. Um, if you buy your PBR card, um, I don't know if there's a certain number of events that you have to go to, to be eligible for it. But if you own a card, you're eligible to go. So it, it's for everybody. So of those, after the votes come in, they go in order down, down the list. The first place guy gets to go, or the first three guys, first three guys, get to go to any UTB events that they want to. If they decline an event, uh, say like like right now with, with uh, Webster going to San Antonio, then they bring in the fourth guy. And, and it goes on down like that. Um, it's a great process and it, and it keeps the level of the game at a, at a high level because um, it, it could change every year. You, you don't necessarily have to get to go next year. And, and that's the design of it, I think is brilliant because um, it keeps the best guys in the arena all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so. and, and this year, you know, the opening event, Indianapolis, Cody was at a rodeo, Frank, uh, uh, the, the one this year has been, where's Frank been? Well, Frank was hurt, right. you know, Hey, guess what? You guys get hurt too. So, yeah. uh, and then, Co- uh, Dusty Tuckness was in that order somewhere. Mm-hmm. He broke his leg at the at the NFR. Uh, you know, we had a couple bullfighters that we know as very good, Nathan Harp and, and uh, Nate Justice. But a lot right. of the fans didn't know who they were because we went down the line. Definitely, I mean, literally went down the line, not quality-wise with those right. two. Um, I've been very honest with fans when they say, mm-hmm. where's Shorty? And I say, he didn't get voted in. Well, that's yep. bullshit. That's what, you know. No, it's not. That's bullshit. And I'm like, I'll I'll get these bull riders. I've defended, the, I'll get the bull riders and you mm-hmm. tell them it, it's right. not, is it, it expand? No, no, it's a, it's a hundred percent fair. It, it's the way that it should be. And, and, uh, and I, I have no, uh, hard feelings or anything. To be honest with you, I'm a 43 year old bullfighter. Uh, I've got other things going on in my life and, uh, bullfighting wasn't necessarily my number one anymore. And that's what happens, you know. I've got other things that I want to do right now, and and put them, prioritize them. And when you, when you uh, 
when you're playing professional sports, uh, any professional sports, I, I, I guess you should say, even in business, when you when you prioritize something else, it's going to take over, and and your your number your what was your number one is going to fall down a little bit, and that's that's exactly what happened. And and to be honest with you, I'm perfectly happy with where I'm at right now. Uh, I miss my friends, but uh, other than that, uh, I'm I'm good, man. Yeah, that's it's you guys. It, you know the the other thing it keeps you doing is it does. You know, Frank Newsom has talked about it. He's 47, 48 and has been that, that body. Oh yeah. <laughs> and he knows it. He knows yeah. it, but he also knows if he wants to continue to work next year, he's got to step it up. There's no, there is no yeah. guarantee. No, there's not. And, and, and he has, um, he's dedicated to it. You know, it is his life. Bullfighting is, is 100% his life. And he's working out every day. He's, you know, um, he's doing things all day, every day to keep him going back. And, um, and I'm not. Yeah. So here, here I am. And, and I'm like, <laughs> again, I'm perfectly content. I'm glad that people miss me. It makes me feel really good, but I don't, I don't miss it. Like I said, I miss my friends, um, but I'm just as content being out in the mountains with a pack of hounds and nobody around <laughs> as I am anywhere else. And we'll get to that. Um, you and I, we were in the locker room. The, the one thing you and I have had be just a lot of it from, uh, comes from our background when we were in rodeo together. We go farther back than any of the other bullfighters, probably. Yeah, Frank, late 90s. Uh, yeah, and Frank and I, kind of the same way. We did the world finals in 97, and then Frank was gone for a while, and we weren't in the same region. We, You and I did common rodeos together. But I remember sitting, it was about three years ago, we were in the locker room by ourselves because we come in and out, everybody's getting taped. And you and I mm-hmm. always had those times when we sat there, just us. And yeah. you said, you said, brother, <laughs> I know the time's coming. I, I know each one of these years could be the year that the bull riders pick one of these great younger guys rather than me. Um, and you told me, but I'm re- I will have no problem with it. I'm ready for it. I got some other things going. So you mentally have, you've prepared yourself for this. I mean, for sure. you, you're a, you understand it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, I like to think I got something between these ears and, uh, <laughs> and you can't do it forever and nor do I want to, you know, um, I'm still pretty healthy, but hell I remember and nobody knew it, but I remember, Oh heck, I don't, can't pin down the year, but I remember at the world finals, I had my bag packed after it was over and I was just going to leave it there and just leave. And I, and I don't know, some, for some reason I grabbed it and took it out and and I'm glad I did, but I, I was ready, you know, I am ready, but I, I enjoy it still while I'm there. It's, it's the leaving home, it's the traveling, all that part of it sucks. Do you you find, because this is me right now, you know, I'm, I'm in a spot right now. I, I got to figure some things out because my body is yelling at mm-hmm. me every sure. morning. <clears throat> my mind, my heart, when I get on an airplane That'll every happen. week. <clears throat> but do you find that through that whole process, now the velocity tour, I think there is a little more chance to relax. There's not, you don't have to hit your marks quite as sharp with all the TV and different things. 
Um, yep. You're in a little more laid back arenas, which it, it is fun. Mm-hmm. But um, do you find, like I do, that when you step in that arena, that that's almost the most peaceful part of your day while on the road? It, it, oh, it 100% is. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Huh. Without a doubt. And, and the, you know, the velocity events to me, just we were talking about it the other day and, and um, some of the people that work over there haven't got to, to work on the, on the UTV tour and um, not necessarily bullfighters, but the crew and everything. And, yeah. and it is, it's, it's, it's a more relaxing environment because you don't have that high stress of having to hit the marks and having to the production at the UTV events is it's crazy. It's wonderful, but it's like, it's intense and everybody feels it. Even if you're not a part of the production, you still feel it. The, yeah. And it, that, it there's a nice pressure. There, there's mm-hmm. a pressure yep. being in Madison square garden or Staples center, whatever it's called now, or, um, those famous arenas, there, there's a pressure there that they expect the greatest show they've ever seen. And, yeah. um, I don't know. Somebody said to me the other day, I was on a tour. I do those Q and a things we've done them. Right. And a fan said, knew I had had heart issues over, over to, it's almost been 13 years ago and said, does your cardiologist recommend this job you're doing? And I said, there's nothing, I mean, in the arena, there's a stress, but it's a healthy, it's a, I'm going to be my mm-hmm. best. The stress is everything else. The yeah, stress is exactly. all of this, is real life. I, and mm-hmm. I think they they did a study one time. I can't remember if it was like Frank Newsom is a bullfighter or a bull rider, that their heart rate actually dropped. Mine, well, I the, used to wear that Fitbit. Oh, yeah, there and, you go. Yeah, and and that was that was it was like my heart rate was actually lower in the arena even after like say like after a hang up or something like that I'd glance down and my heartbeat would be like eighty two. Yeah, it was just it was it was it is it's a it's a peaceful place because nothing else matters. It's a boundary. Like it, it, it's yeah. I've always said like at PBR World Finals when I'm in the arena there's a fence nobody can get to me <laughs> like stay right. out there. Yep. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I've seen it happen. Yeah, but they've jumped the fence before. <laughs> but it is, I, I always say, when I'm in the arena, that's where I'm supposed to be. And everything, mm-hmm. you and I both have been through a lot in our lives. Um, much of it self-inflicted. I'm not blaming anybody else. Personal stuff, marriage stuff, sure. kids stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And when when you step in the arena, it doesn't disappear. It has to disappear for two hours. It has to. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, it, it, well... It's like, uh, um, and everybody, I guess, deals with things a little bit different. But when you walk out of that locker room door and it closes behind you, all your problems stay in there. And you go out in the arena, you do your job, come back out, you're back into life. Again. <laughs> but for those two hours, if you don't put that away, you're not going to be able to do your job, yeah. period. When I close that door, sometimes I'm like, get it. <laughs> oh, yeah, a couple dead bolts. <laughs> it's like the skeletons falling out of the closet. <laughs> right. right. Hey, you brought up a good point because I had made a note uh, about that. It is inevitable and part of the job that fans, uh, they do it with movie stars and singers. It's not unique to us, but it's an interesting, I've learned it's a, it's a real interesting dynamic to deal with in my life. They inevitably associate you and completely who you are with the job you're doing. Like right. your complete identity is 
Shorty in the arena. That's like, where is Shorty? Where's he been? Where'd he go? Um, with me, it's, uh, where's your shorts and your, Hey, where's your makeup? They go clowning yeah. around. And sometimes it's exhausting. Like mm-hmm. we, we understand it. That's what pays the bills. It's something weird to deal with though, isn't it? It is. And it's funny because people, Hey, that plant must keep you laughing all day long. Huh? It's like, <laughs> no, 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 he's not that funny really in real life. Like, <laughs> but no, it is. It's, it's funny how they, they do, you know, and, and uh, I remember we used to do a lot of autograph sessions and they yeah. show up and they're like, where's your, where's your hat and your Jersey and all this? Like, really? You think we just wear this stuff around <laughs> all day, every day? <laughs> Sometime. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but it, I mean, right. uh, and I try to be, of course we, we accommodate those people. It, it's, it, it is part of the job, but I can see, you know, there's always those shows about, crazy people who think the movie stars are the actual person they play on. Right. Can you imagine being one of the people now on Yellowstone? Like I always think of Cole Hauser who plays Rip on Yellowstone. I don't really watch the show, but I've seen seen him and met him, but he's Rip on Yellowstone, the main. Can you imagine that poor bastard? (laughs) Like, What's his, what's his, if it was a real life guy, but what's his headstone going to (laughs) say? Rip, rip, nice. Yeah, right. That's why you're the funniest man in the business, Shorty. <laughs> <I'm telling you. laughs> sure. I can't, hey, they always, man. I'll bet. Flip, I'll bet. The, the, they used to say, "I'll bet you drive your wife crazy being like this all the time." Like, no, they. My kids have always. It, it was hard on them that they used to say, "You know, we get the grouchy dad, the tired dad, right. and the yeah. fans get the entertaining dad." That is a harsh reality to what we do. Mm-hmm. You travel, you do your job, you come home, you're tired. That's yeah. tough on families. I think it's the same way with, with people in the entertainment business in general. We're tired when we get home and sometimes we're grouchy and that's not fair. It isn't. It's not. And at the same time, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're gone. You're away from home. So to them, it's like a vacation. Even though they know that's your job, that's where you go make, make your living and they know it's where you got still somewhere somehow i think they turn it into that when you're gone you're on vacation and when you come home you're exhausted it doesn't make sense to them yeah um uh there's been time i I talked about our careers go way back we did a lot of rodeos in california the northwest first of all we joked about joe bumgardner there's that chain of how people go. There's going to be a generation of guys that have learned from you and especially from a a Cody Webster and Frank Newsom. They're very active with the young guys. So that's going to be passed down. There was a Ted Groney taught a guy named Joe Bumgartner. Joe Bumgartner taught a kid named, you know, like Eric, uh, Ryan Heiser and Eric Layton and Shorty. You learned from Mm -hmm. Joe, a unique way of fighting bulls and everybody passes on a different style. Right. Explain it was pretty, at the time, very different because we had the Miles Harris and the Rob Smetzes. Um, Lloyd and Joe, Lloyd Ketchum and Joe Bumgartner worked together. Extra- explain the Joe Bumgartner school of bullfighting to us. Uh, well, I, Joe was always always a preventative kind of guy. And he was super smooth and he he had, he read bulls better than anybody I've, I've ever seen. And and he was a phenomenal athlete. He, he actually played um, 
just as Jose Vitor Leme, Joe was a soccer player. And, um, but it was always for Joe, it was always, let's get in here, get all these guys out of here safe and sweat as little as possible and be noticed as little as possible. That was the deal. Like it was, it was smooth. Joe, Joe was so smooth and had, had such a unique way of, of getting his hands on bulls, kind of a long, you know, tall guy. And, uh, he could just, he could come, he, I think he was probably the first guy that could come from a really long ways away because in California, back in those days, like if you, uh, and, and Joe worked a lot for a guy by the name of Dan Russell. So did I, but if you took a step toward the bull during the ride and the guy wasn't coming off, you would get your butt chewed big Dan. bad. Oh, big and, Dan, uh, big Dan was an ass during rodeo. Time. He was. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and, but he wanted his, bulls to buck and he didn't want you getting in their way and so uh joe learned from dan how to come from a long ways away and still get there in time and get the job done he was the first guy that did it and and i've talked to some guys that fought bulls you know way before us uh that complimented us on that like i don't know how you guys come from such a long ways away and still get there and get the job done when they fought bulls like, you know, in the, in the sixties and seventies and whatnot, they would kind of stay with the bull during, during the ride, they would stay real close there. And, um, Joe, Joe had a knack for, for, for doing it. And I, it, and it was, it was fun learning. And those bulls back then you had all the Nacarado bulls and, and the Kish bulls, you know, and, and then, uh, Cordell bulls, but they were kind of the California bulls were a little bit smaller, a little bit faster and a little bit meaner. And it was every day was action packed. It was fun. And, and, <laughs> it was. Uh, Joe, in my opinion, honestly, and some people may not agree with me, and I really don't care because you're wrong. Joe is the goat. I've said the same thing. The yeah. Joe Bumgarner and listen, I've worked with, and great friends with all those guys, Smets and Lloyd, me too. And, and and currently you, Frank, Cody. Joe Bumgarner's the greatest cowboy protection bullfighter I have ever seen and will ever see. That's I, I'll I agree. just say. It. I agree. Because he, he was not a freestyle guy. That was all. just that was my I was just gonna lead in. People yeah. think the the cowboy protection and the freestyle little Mexican fighting bulls deal. Joe would puke. It, because mm-hmm. I remember well, being he puked in, anyways. Well, he puked every to every every performance ever of the national finals rodeo. Joe puked and, and at most the, of them. Most of them are the rodeos, <laughs> too. Just regular rodeos. That's why at the yeah. bottom of the tunnel that we walked down at Thomas and Mac Arena, there's a garbage can at the bottom just so Joe could puke in it. That, that's just Joe's. That's right. Yep. Um, but yep. he, I remember being at, uh, at Pleasant Grove, Utah, and the Kirby's brought, they had an old Mexican fighting bull that at the end of the rodeo, they'd turn out and you got the bullfighters, Joe, and Joe worked that rodeo. He'd have to fight him, and he was, he was scared the entire rodeo. He threw up. Yep. He hated it. Absolutely hated it. I've never seen it. You didn't like it either, did you? No, I didn't <laughs> like it. But yeah, and luckily, by the time I got to work with Joe, Joe had you know enough uh, clout that we didn't have to fight fighting bulls. If yeah. Joe was fighting, we didn't have. They didn't turn out a fight. F you. He said. By the way, that's <laughs> yeah. his favorite word. That was always. Yeah. His. Oh. We yeah. ain't, ain't going to fight those effing things every time. Did, did you, uh, 
I, I look back at, <clears throat> there was a time that, that rodeos for some reason were hiring two clowns. One is I'd do the walking and talking. They'd bring in somebody to do the act. Troy Lurwell would jump his motorcycle or mm-hmm. I never thought it worked. I didn't like it. Two funnies doesn't make funnier. However, we got to hang with great people. And I'll never forget, did you ever think a moment when it's 104 degrees in Hermiston, Oregon, and somebody, we had walked out to work the sheep riding before the rodeo or something. Me, Keith Isley, who's a legend Hall of Famer to me, one of the greatest rodeo, pure rodeo clowns of all time. You and Joe Bumgartner. I have the picture and I don't even know who took it. They're like, here guys, let's get a picture. And we were laughing about something. And we put our arms around each other. Bam. Yeah. And yep. I sent you that picture recently. Who would ever mm-hmm. think a moment like that 20 years later you go, holy shit. Like You're what lucky. a great picture. Yeah. And it, yeah. all it does for me is go, look at the relationships we have and the guys mm-hmm. we worked with. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. And that's, that's something I think with with uh, with rodeo that's a little bit different than the PBR because uh, you know we go typically on a typical day at a at a PBR event. We're in the hotel room. We do our you know whatever, waste the day, and then go uh, show up, production, run through event, go home, go back to the hotel, pretty much you know. But like rodeo, you had your motor home there, and, yeah. and so you know, like if it was Joe, you and Joe and I, we'd have to show up, uh, help feed grain stock, do all that stuff. So we were at the arena like all day. Um, you know, we'd get all our stuff done, then go eat lunch, whatever, and then yeah. clean up, come back for the performance. But we spent a lot more time around each other. I felt like than we do, uh, than we have in the last few years. But so you, you, the relationships, I think become even stronger than what we, yeah. what we have now. Yeah, I do. I do remember watching you guys feed stock. That was great. Drinking your <laughs> coffee from <laughs> really, really, yes. really bonded. I did when I was, yeah. yeah. Now the first spring I went, it was before your time. The very first spring it would have been the spring of like 98. Mm-hmm. Um, I went and spent it Red Bluff, Clovis. We went to Bakersfield yep. and Wood Lake. And I did feed Every morning I'd get up and I'd feed, and, but it was cool. It was, it, 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 yeah. it, I, you know, I had a, uh, a wife at home and, and it, it helped me get through those days instead of just sitting around sulking about being away from home. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I enjoyed it. And it wasn't hard work. It was just, you know, and everybody got along and they had a system. Shoot. It was, it wasn't that bad, but it, it was fun. And I think that part of, of my career I think it helps you every time you can be around livestock and work with livestock, it, it helps you in the arena too. So I, I, I really do. I liked, in fact, for, I don't know how long I would be back loading stock. I would get in my bullfighting attire before the, the rodeo and I would be, or most of it. And I would be loading bucking horses, loading uh, steers, loading whatever. And then right before the bull ride and like during the barrel race and I'd run back, put my knee braces on come out to the arena and fight bulls. And I think, I think it helped me because um, you didn't sit around worrying about it all day. Like you were busy. And then all of a sudden, boom, it was go time. And- um, sorting stock. <clears throat> we'll just keep it to bulls for this, the sake of this conversation, sorting bulls in the back pens, not just that, but I remember you guys and, and me, I got involved. 
the big rubber tubs out in the arena mm-hmm. and you'd grain and let the bulls out and you grain them and they're around you. Probably, I think young guys who want to be bullfighters who have never been around stock don't understand that that does you more good than any other thing you can do. Because there's mannerisms yeah. and things you'll learn about them, right? There is. There is. And, and you can learn it from all livestock. But um, but yeah, absolutely. Just watching, watching their mannerisms, how they move, what, you know, what catches their eye, whatever it, it, that's what I tell my, my recommendation to every young kid that wants to be a bullfighter. And they say, what can I do to be a bullfighter? I say, well, do you work on a ranch? Nope. You work in a feedlot? Nope. Then go get a job at a sale barn. Mm-hmm. What? And, and you do because you're working in the back pens. You're either probably start out pinning the stock back, which is fairly easy. But then you go to sorting stuff and they're running animals at you all day long. And you pretty soon you don't even realize it, but you're learning how to read them on the fly. And, and it starts to come to you quicker and quicker and quicker. And you know how that animal is going to deal with pressure or, or the lack of or whatever. And I think that's the best thing in the world for a young guy wanting to fight bulls. Is go get a job to sell more. Pays like crap, but it'll be <laughs> worth it in the end. Like when you start being a bullfighter. Same. Exactly. Um, and my brother owns a sale barn, so I know I can say it pays like crap. <laughs> uh, some things that I know about you that a lot of people don't. I worked with you probably earlier in our careers with you as a pickup man during the rodeo. Yep. You're a, you were a great, and still are, but back in the day, great roper, calf roper, team roper. Really good. Like I haven't roped in a long time. I wouldn't say still are. Okay. You used to be Cal. You were like the high school state champion calf roper. Weren't you like you? Yeah. One, one California state twice. Yeah. And nearly by a broken barrier, nearly set the arena record at the Pendleton roundup in the calf roping. And I will say not to reveal too much. You didn't exactly feel really good that morning that you did that. Well, I'll tell on myself. Um, that was, (laughs) that was funny because, I went the, the year before, I guess, uh, Lloyd got hurt. I don't remember who got hurt first. May, oh, Rowdy Berry got hurt. Um, and so I got called to work the PBR at the Happy Canyon. Or is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then the weekend leading up to it, Lloyd got hurt. So I worked, got to work the rodeo as well. So, and I loved Pendleton. I was like, oh man, this is, this is the greatest rodeo I've ever been to in my life. And I still think that yeah. it is my favorite rodeo. Ditto. And so uh, the next year I, I went home and bragged about it, bragged about it. And, and it's, there's an old guy I used to rope with, Plenty Pankos, and I rode his horse a lot. And, and uh, anyways, I said, we're going, if I'm fighting bulls or not, we're go- I'm going to enter that thing just so I have an excuse to go. And so we go and, and stayed out all night partying and whatever. And I get a ride back to the front gate and I'm coming through the front gate and here comes Clint and the horse is tight. My rope's on. He's got my string. And he starts chewing my ass. He's like, where in the hell have you been? You dumped something, you're up in eight. Get da, 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 da. And he is reaming my ass. <laughs> and, and I don't know if I was, I don't know if I was hung over yet. Let's put it that way. <laughs> But I said, Clinty, you got this shit all wrong, man. I came here for the party, not the roping. <laughs> and uh, and then, yeah, and then drew old Fluffy. And, and, uh, old Fluffy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Y- yeah, you you broke out. So people listening to this, the slack, they run an all-morning, all-day slack one day where everybody gets one. It's not a paid performance, but 
Shoot, there's six, 7,000 people there at the Slack in Pendleton. And, oh, it's great. And the greatest. And we it, go watch. We go watch. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, the greatest ropers in the world. And I'll never forget you broke the barrier, which is plus 10, right? And you were to break the arena record. And I remember yeah. it was Fred Whitfield. About a half a second. Yeah, killed it. It was, yeah. And I, yeah. Remember, I remember Fred, if that was when Fred Whitfield and all those guys were still roping, and you, mm-hmm. you said, Ah, Flynn, I'll tell you, wouldn't that Fred Whitfield have been pissed if he'd have got his ass kicked by a clown? <laughs> I'll never forget that. Uh, well, and, and it's so it's on Pendleton's on grass, and you start, there's no rope and shoot. You're coming off of a, of a dirt track, and they have, they have a guy that'll call the animal as it's coming out. So it's, you don't even see the animal. You just back up against the fence and you tell him, okay, let him out. And, and a guy on a horse goes in a little pin back there and gets it out. And he comes loping with the animal down the, the alleyway. And there'll be somebody on the fence and they'll say, he's out. He's halfway, three quarters. There he is. And that's the first time you see that animal. Well, Brent Lewis was called calling. And he's like, he's out halfway. He's good. He's good. Three quarters. He's really good. There he is. And so I'm going down. Well, then down at the barrier, which is, I don't know how many feet it is from the wall to the barrier, but it's 35 feet. It's, it's, it's 35 feet probably. Yeah. 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 And so, but being that it's on grass, it can get dangerous. And so you got guys down there watching the barrier. And if you break out, they'll holler at you because there's no use in taking a risk if you, if you broke out. So, and I go by the barrier and I don't hear nothing. I thought, hell is perfect so anyways get the calf tied down come walking back and i'll never forget i look up look back at the barrier Jerome schneeberger looks up at me and he just goes like that and i just went yeah uh could have been my that's my claim to fame could have been could have been um hey uh, for what people see i think uh frank and and cody and i maybe talked about this too but we talk about all those times where whether guys we worked with or the people we've had the opportunity to meet, you know, the Joe and Keith picture. And I may have a picture of this somewhere that maybe we can share, but the other one was the weekend we spent junior Seau, hall of fame football player was doing a TV show where he went and did jobs. And we spent an entire weekend in the locker room. Just one of the guys with junior Seau. Yeah. I look back and, and, it's one of those things. I hope I didn't take it for granted. Right. Amazing. So I, I actually got to spend the day before with him, part of the day before, because I took him out to my brother's sale barn. Cause that was in that event was in, um, Oh heck. It wasn't Chino. Cause that's where my no, brother's Ont- Ontario, Ontario. There you yep. go. Ontario. And, um, um, so my brother's sale barn in Chino so took him over there looked at the bulls. That's where all the buck, the buck and bulls were staying. Got a wheelbarrow, chased him around with the wheelbarrow, taught him how to throw a fake, da 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 da. And I'll never forget, uh, I was explaining to him, you know, to wait till right at the tail end before you give your fake and then you go the other way. And, and he told me, he said, uh, he said, man, you think I made it 16 years in the NFL by telegraphing my fake? And I was like, all right, good, good, good point. Good, sorry. All right, whatever. So, anyways, Game day comes and we're there and he's supposed to just hang out by the fence. He's out there with me. He's way back. Just yeah. Yeah. And, and, and before, uh, you know it here, all of a sudden he's down there with us. We're like, 
all right, well, whatever. And so he kind of helps with a couple. Well, then this bull comes at him, like the rider's already safe for everything. This bull comes at him and he gets run over. Yes, right over the top of him. Down he goes, he gets up, he looks at me, he's like, what happened? I said, telegraphed your fate. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget that. But, yeah. but to this day, um, if you see us out in the, the arena before, before the event, uh, right before we kick off, you see us all lick our, our hand and, and we call it tapping in. Tap in. And Junior had said something. This is a lesson for everybody. Um, a lesson in life. Junior asked us before, while we were in the locker room, he says, you guys have any traditions or anything um, that you do before the game? We're like, no, no, no. And I asked him, I said, do you? He said, yeah, I always shave. And he did. He shaved in the locker room. And, uh, and he said, before we start, we tap in. We're like, what's tapping in? And Junior said, he said, I don't want to go out there and play with a guy who has millions of dollars in a mansion and 10 Ferraris and all everything he could ever want. I want to play for the guy that's earning, trying to earn that. So you got to tap back in to that guy that played in college or whatever, trying to earn that contract. He said, I want you to tap in to the guy trying to earn it. You're really and that's tapping why in we, here. You're tapping it, in there. In there. That's right. And, and that from that day on, we've always tapped in before. Yeah. Before. We literally tap in. So it, yep. it's a literal thing for us, but it's yep. a reminder to me. I've told that story a lot, and I'm glad you told that story because I remember you were the one that asked it. Mm-hmm. And and I've told high school, I, I was invited to speak to my old high school football team before a playoff game, and I told them that very story. I said, so tap yeah. into the little kid playing in your backyard in the snow. You That's know? right. And That's I got to right. tap it. I, got, I need to tap in more to the guy in Absorkey, yeah. Montana, when there were 35 people in the stands and you just couldn't wait to do your job yep. and, and yep. uh that was so great i'm glad you told that story mm-hmm. I, I forgot about the shaving in the locker room thing yeah I, I did yep. that i did that in arlington texas a couple of years ago yeah i've been in the locker room shaving and you and bates made fun of me for how low i had to how much foam i had to use to shave i don't know if you remember that yeah <laughs> yeah well so, good thing you stopped at your face <laughs> well you know got to keep yeah. your stuff tight man you know? <laughs> yeah yeah um he, the real life uh sasquatch here uh, leave me alone <laughs> um bit i don't know how to i i'm not i don't do anything political on here but i think it's interesting like the the bullfighters on the utb tour wear a u.s border patrol uniforms mm-hmm. they're the sponsor yep. of that and i've always I've always liked that it's more to you than a uniform. Like you have a true, you're on the Southern border of Texas Mm -hmm. down on the Mexican border. And that uniform, you've had opportunity to spend time with those guys. It just was more than a uniform to you. You had really personal dealings in all of that. And still. Still do. Yeah. yeah. Still do. And and got to understand I was born and raised seven miles from the Mexican border in a little, sorry, El Centro, a little shithole. <laughs> I've been to El Centro by, yeah. by the name of El Centro. Uh, but, uh, it's hot. It's a, it's a cool little farm town really, but it's just hot. And I hated the heat. So, but, and then, um, I guess I lived in Red Bluff for like a year. Other than that, I've always lived 
within 70 miles of the border. I live 50 miles from it now. And, and, uh, and down here right now, um, it's been, it's been, it's been a shit show and it has for, for a while now. We've got guys now what they're doing. Um, they're, they're still in vehicles, but they've done this for a long time. They still vehicles. They, like usually it's a Ford three quarter ton or one ton. And why, I don't know, but they pull the back seats out and then they, they go down by the border and they get a pickup and they just stack. There'll be 15 illegals in, in the, the pickup and they would drive on the interstates and usually they're going to Houston or Dallas or something like that. Well, they got to getting caught too many times. So now what they're doing, they'll, they'll do the same thing, but they don't even try to go down the interstates anymore. They're just going down, um, down these county roads and then cut through ranches and, and it's, you know, uh, high fences and they're just running them over, just run one after another, just run them over. And so you'll have big old hole in the fence on the South end of your ranch and big old hole on the fence in the North end of your ranch. And you're fixing fence on a daily basis almost. And it's just, it's not good, but I have got to work with those guys a lot and, and I've got a lot of respect for them and a personal connection just because we're dealing with, with this, trouble down here right now so um you what you we talked earlier and i said i'd get to it you have other things going and for a long time i've had other things going mm -hmm. you are a you're heavy heavy into cat hunting you contract with the government you mm -hmm. you raise hounds uh it, it, yep. tell us a little about when people where's shorty what's he up to tell us yeah so Oh, it started out years and years ago. We were having trouble on the ranch and uh, had to, we had uh, mountain lions killing livestock and, and colts. And so I got called a friend that had some hounds and, and I always had cow dogs and stuff. And so I ended up getting my own hounds just to take care of our problems. And it became a passion. You know, first it was just remedying the problem, but, but it came up, became a passion. And, and it's like anything, it's like, you know, like a roper always looking for that better horse or a barrel racer always looking for that better horse. You're always looking for the better hounds. And if somebody's got better hounds, you're trying to figure out how they got them, where they got them from and how you get hounds like that. But it, it became a passion raising them and training them. And, and I did it for a hobby for a long time, just because I, I love that part. I mean, it's kind of a place where you go out, you're by yourself, just you and the hounds. And it's like you said, that peaceful place in the arena that was my peaceful place. And, but anyways, uh, over the years I got into, um, taking hunters, uh, helping, helping outfitters guide hunts. Um, and then I got invited to go do, uh, help with a research project out in California in 2016. We were, we were putting collars on mountain lions for research. So get to catch them, you know, tranquilize them, um, then get them down, take all kinds of, uh, measurements, weights, get DNA samples, this and that, put a collar on them, wake them up, and then get to study them. You get to watch them. I can get right here on this computer and see where all those collared lines are, where they move from day to day. And that really sparked an interest in me and, and uh, got to doing a little bit more of it. And then here, I guess about a year ago, I, I uh, got a job with, uh, with the USDA and, and that's my job is, is doing, doing research on, uh, cat, capturing 
the animals for for research mountain lions and bobcats so that's that's what i do now and i, and I love it we've really all done do. we've all hunted cougars here and there we, right right you knew I four-legged couldn't, you know you knew i couldn't let that i'm go. chasing the four-legged <laughs> Well, yeah. I just think it's cool, and I I wanted to be sure and let everybody know that you're not sitting in the gutter waiting for somebody to call to fight bulls. I mean, you are no. a little bit, but busy. Oh, bit. Yeah. You're, yeah. That, yeah. We, we joked, and I, I said it. I don't know if you saw it. I did a little video from the very first, very first PBR at Indianapolis. I said, I want to introduce you to the bullfighters. And before anybody asks, I said, Frank's been hurt, Webster... Is at a rodeo. Dusty Tuggins broke his leg, and Shorty won't answer his phone. <laughs> That's, yeah, well, I didn't have one. You for didn't have two a phone. A months. I yeah. know. Yeah, I was out in the middle of the wilderness with no phone for, for a while. <laughs> Man, you want to talk about teach you how to slow life down again? Yeah. It was actually refreshing. You, when you come out of the mountains, you look like Tom Hanks on Castaway, long hair <laughs> and <a> beard. And <laughs> yeah, I just needed my volleyball. Uh, it, Wilson. His name was Wilson. 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 There you go. Um, Before I let you go, I mentioned earlier, I'm in a, I'm right now. And and believe me, it doesn't get me down. Some days it does. To know when, when you think, but there's a couple factors when to call it a career in this. Number one, when you think you should. Number Mm -hmm. two, when you think you can. Because I use this, people probably get tired of this analogy. I always use the Brett Favre analogy. When he would, when the hell is he just going to retire? That is said by people who have never spent years in a locker room. Right. Yep. That's the hard part. Yep. Yep. It's, yeah. Like I said, I miss my miss my friends, but other than that, yeah, I'm good. And I and I don't know that there is a, ever the perfect time to call it you know what i mean yeah like how do you how, how is everything perfect it's you know you, you talk to people about having kids and they're well i want to wait till i'm till everything's perfect and like you never feel like it is right no. it's kind of the same deal where- maybe maybe the career thing is like kids i always tell people it'll never be perfect but have now it's <laughs> sometimes you shouldn't have kids have those kids or get married and then make it perfect and that's, right. I guess, changing careers. Mm-hmm. Just go through it and then, then make it perfect. So, um, yep. yeah, I, I, I have struggled a little. And who, who, doesn't, who doesn't like to be recognized in an airport? You know? Right. That's the, exactly. That's the best thing. When somebody comes up, hey, man, love, I've been stopped in airports, usually more in other airports rather than Montana Airport. Right, love, yeah. We're big fans. We love what you do. Isn't that a... There's really, no matter what anybody says, that's a really good thing. Yep. Yep. It does. It feels good. Um, and it's, it's, it's random places that it happens to, but you might be having a bad day. You're in the dumps and, and you walk up to the ticket counter and the ticket lady recognized you. Again. Yeah. And, uh, oh, I never knew your real name was Seth. I always knew you by short. <laughs> oh, oh, there but, you go. You know, and then, yeah. and, and it's like, all of a sudden your day just got better. Yeah. So it is a good feeling. The full member. When we stopped at the Full Belly Deli in Townsend, Montana, I random, knew. and that lady went, yep. "I yep. got Flint and Shorty, and she's coming to the PBR and Billings." Yep. Remember that? Yep. It was a good. Oh yeah, yeah. Those are those are awesome times. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of, how's London Ridge? Right, your little boy. Ridge. Yeah. What's he? Three, two. What's he's he? three. 
tree. Yeah, he's saying, mad at me right now. Why? What, what'd you do? He, well, so we got my little laptop in here. Anytime I have to do computer work, he comes in here and watches uh, videos on London's computer. And so I told him I had to come in here and do a podcast and he wanted to come in and watch videos, but I knew it'd be too loud. So I couldn't let him. So he's tell him, I'm sorry. He's mad at me. Tell him, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I will. And London, will. how's, how's London? She's running some good horses as always. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. She's doing good. She just, right. God can't believe it's been uh, 14 years and she's already outgrown me. So I know it. I know. Well, my little girls that threw popcorn at you at net at Caldwell, mm-hmm. Idaho on your birthday, they're growing up too. So I know yeah. it. I know it. Well, tell everybody hello around there. Appreciate you. We miss you. I'll do it. My friend We miss you shorty. Just, well, Hey, I'll two weeks. Yeah. From when we do this, you will be yeah. as everybody well, should know little rock, Arkansas. I'll be in little rock, Arkansas. We're, See y'all there. We're going to call it a cameo. Shorty's going to make a cameo in Little Rock. Thanks, buddy. I love you, man. It's great to talk to you. Love you too, man.